Welcome back to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. Michael Calhoun with Michael Scully, regional president of PNC, and Elena Mathia, who's the president and CEO of MTM. So, Elena, uh, COVID is a, a fortunately in the rearview mirror, but it did drive many, many changes in the way we do things. And one of those is it promoted the virtual care. I'm curious, in something like virtual care, it would seem to me that would drive business away from needing transportation. What have you seen occur in the trend towards virtual care with with some of the hospital systems? Well, when we were in lockdown, we were obviously scheduling telemedicine appointments for individuals. So they would call us. They needed to get to a healthcare appointment, and then we would facilitate and ask can you see that doctor via telemedicine? And if they could, we would help schedule that. A lot of our contracts were paid like a health benefits manager. So it didn't matter if we were working to schedule an appointment or scheduling a transportation uh, ride. It was still covered under our services. After COVID emergency order was lifted, we've seen a return to in-person visits. Doctors want to see patients in person. They can't assess all of their needs through, you know, a telemedicine component. But there are some continued benefits for telemedicine, people living in rural areas. A lot of times behavioral health appointments can be scheduled. And we're continuing to look at how to utilize it with our health plan partners. And we're always looking for innovative ways to ensure people are getting health care access. And if telemedicine is the appropriate methodology, then we're facilitating it. You know, what strikes me, Elena, is when, when people think of startups, they think of, you know, some app, you go to the app store, you download it. We've seen with Arch Grants here in St. Louis, it can be everything from food technology to physical products that startups make. And your company certainly has been a St. Louis startup, you know, in the vein of even the companies like Express Scripts and Anheuser-Busch once began as small businesses and have grown. And, and just what do you see in terms of the tech landscape in St. Louis, especially for a company like yours? So I think a lot of times people don't necessarily think of technology companies, they think of the product, right? So Anheuser-Busch or Express Scripts, you're thinking about your prescription, but there's a lot of technology behind the scenes that are driving those businesses. And so we're working in an environment where we're partnering with Centene. We have a lot of employees that have come through the ranks at Express Scripts. So we're benefiting from the fact that there is a very healthcare technology-focused Uh, industry here in the St. Louis region. And so we are definitely, as a growing company, leveraging their expertise and uh, and their their employees where we we can. Yeah, that's something I think people don't recognize on the face of it with St. Louis, that we are a major, right up there with, you know, Silicon Valley in Boston, a major healthcare hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, the COVID vaccine with its origins at Pfizer. And of course, the major companies, you know, you've got uh, Express Scripts and Centene uh, and the others. Uh, and St. Louis really has brought all this together uh, with BioSTL and organizations like that. I mean, what, what do you think of the way that St. Louis has has carved out this this part of this industry? We're really excited. In fact, we found a partner, T-Care, out of the Arch Grants uh, area, and we invested recently in them. We find them to be a really innovative startup culture. And, you know, $1.2 billion, we're a little – we're not as young and nimble as we once were. So it's really great to link up with a company like T-Care to keep that innovation juices flowing. And so we're excited that we don't have to go beyond St. Louis to find a company like that to work with. And they're – 
there are a lot of opportunities here in the St. Louis region, and it takes maybe getting involved and reaching out and joining some of these boards. If you're interested in bringing technology into your company and don't know how to get started, just getting involved in some of those programs will help you open your doors. Yeah, it's so nice to hear you have that entrepreneurial spirit, despite growing from $30 million to $1.2 billion. If By my math, that is 40-fold in 15, 16 years. I think that is absolutely incredible. Uh, but it raises the question, you know, acquisitions and growth like that can put a strain on your company and your structure. How have you managed that growth and that organizational structure throughout all these acquisitions? So we constantly are learning. We're a company that doesn't think we know all the solutions and answers. So we're attending conferences. We're going we're reading articles. We're talking to other businesses that are larger than us and asking them how they did it. And what we learned was to b- grow, you have to have a really great people and culture team. So we don't have a human resources team. We have a people and culture team. And they recruit and they test. We assess our employees as they come in the door to make sure they're the right cultural fit for our organization. And then we train them. We constantly get comments about how we're the best onboarding that employees have ever gone through. And some companies that they've previously worked for are very large. So investing in that onboarding experience, investing in the employee to be successful is something that we do really well and we we take very seriously. And listen, not everybody's worked out at MTM. And I think that's just a process that everybody goes through. And what we've learned is that if they're not a cultural fit, that they're not probably going to work out. And so a lot of times it's better to move on quickly than than to not. But that doesn't mean you haven't done your due diligence, you, that you don't have the right – you know, you have to make sure first you have the right processes, procedures to help people be successful. But we're we're always making sure people are the right cultural fit for MTM because that's something we we can't change is somebody's personality. We've heard so much about staffing and companies struggling to find employees. Have you have you managed to to hire many of your your folks from the St. Louis area? Do you have a lot of people who relocate? And is there a challenge with that, whether it's financial or uh, you know what they may think about St. Louis before they get here? Well, we've been very fortunate that before the pandemic we were already a virtual company. So we were already working in multiple states. We had multiple locations. Some staff could not be housed in an office because they were one person in the field working with transportation providers. Or we had to hire a programmer with specific skills and they were in a remote setting and we weren't going to bring them to St. Louis, right? So we... And we had already been working on moving our contact center employees to work at home because it's more cost effective and more advantageous schedule wise for them. So we went very quickly into remote work and we've continued the hybrid remote work model. It allows us to recruit the talent that we need and it allows flexibility for our workers. We have a large staff of women in our company. And while a lot of women left the workforce in the pandemic. We did not have that because we had the flexibility in the model. We had some people who started work at 6 a.m. and then, you know, took a break to take their child to school and back. And 
And we're okay with that because we're still getting the productivity out of that employee and they're a talented person and we wanted to maintain them in our company. So I think that culture is something that's different and it uh, builds morale within our, our company. And does that help you if you've got like a rock star programmer, the best in the country, you know, whatever it is, to be able to say, no, we won't make you move. You can live where you want. You can do what you want. Does that help? kind of seal the deal with, with a, you know, some rock star candidate you're trying to get? Absolutely. In fact, if you're not flexible, they might not even apply. So I think in certain areas, it's a requirement. And you can always hold an, an individual accountable based on productivity without seeing them physically. And I always challenge people to say, just because you saw them in the office, does that mean they're actually productive? How do you know just because you saw them that means they're productive? You can only assess people's productivity by benchmarking, tracking, and having active conversations. And when you really dig down to it, not a lot of managers are doing those things. Well, that's the biggest question in business now. You, All the big tech companies went virtual, and now they're retracting that. Uh, the big financial organizations in Wall Street and New York are all retracting that, and they want four and five days a week. And it's creating quite a backlash. Yeah, and then some companies, it's it's interesting to see which companies are deciding there's value in which. And sometimes it's what they do, I think. Well, I think what Elaine is saying is it's active management and mm-hmm. uh, being being there, being present, and understanding what your employees are doing and measuring it's about that. Trust. It's about trust. And if you don't trust your employees, trust but verify, of course. But there's ways to verify through benchmarking and data. And that allows your employees, when they feel trusted, that's any relationship is based on the foundation of trust. Stay tuned. We've got more with Elena Mathia, who's the president and CEO of MTM, as we continue with PNCC Speak, the language of executives. Welcome back to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. We've got Elena Mathia, the president and CEO of MTM, both a healthcare and transportation company, in studio with us. And, and uh, as we look back on the intense growth that your company has uh, has gone through uh, and and your leadership in the St. Louis region, you know, at RBC we've discussed. Uh, who do you look to for leadership and for mentorship? And, and how would you describe your leadership style? So I look around the region. We have a lot of great examples of privately held companies that have grown uh, over, you know, a billion dollars enterprise. Rent-A-Car would be, you know, one you can think of, worldwide technology, et cetera. And so watching what these companies have done over the years and challenging ourselves. What we did two years ago is sit back and say, where do we want to grow to? We said $2 billion. Well, how are we going to get there? Not by doing what we're doing today. And that sparked the acquisition mindset. And so then we staffed up a M&A team and we went out, we, we worked with banks to get the funding and we went out and found the acquisitions. And so my leadership style is simply to always be pushing the envelope, asking questions. I believe in taking measured risk, being very collaborative, asking lots of questions. I'm not a dogmatic leader. I like to lead through a team. I played sports. I got my MBA. Everything you do is team-based, and you make it's proven you make better decisions when you make those decisions through a team. So that strikes me as a very bold goal. I think we'd like to hit $2 billion with a, a B. Uh, not many companies have done that, and the companies that do tend to be in the public realm. 
Have you ever talked about that? And what's your thought on on the whole notion of going public? Well, I think I like to take big challenges. I like to do the big, hard things. And I think it's really hard to stay private and figure out and, and grow and figure out how to do that. It doesn't mean you can't do it. Again, I point to enterprise as a great example. And you just have to think differently. And and there's a lot of people coming to you to take your business public or to sell your company. There aren't a lot of people coming to you and telling you how to stay private but grow. And you just have to go out and figure it out. You have to go ask questions. You have to go talk to people who've done it. And that's how you learn. And Elena, when you talk about the different, um, you know, not just the core business, but, you know, uh, putting this white label software solution out there, investing in a startup like T-Care, do, do those additional business ventures help to bring in the revenue that assist with reinvesting so you don't have to say, we need a loan, we need an investor, we need an IPO to bring in revenue to, to reinvest? Well, there's, you know, we looked at it through scale. So if we bought other companies, we could generate synergies. I know synergies can often be a bad word, but in our industry, there are synergies. The the synergies are technology. We're all building the same platform. So when you acquire other companies, you can drop that to the bottom line and you show the model to the banks and you get the funding related to that. And so you have to not be afraid of debt. I mean, we took on debt to do this. And I think a lot of privately held companies are afraid of debt. You, The reason why people go public is to get capital, but it's not the only way to get capital. It might be just an easy way to do it. So what we found that our, our industry required long-term management and quarterly earnings and that short-term mindset wasn't the right thing for our business. And we're looking beyond. We're looking at a new product called Wanda, which is to help people age in place long term. It's meals, it's groceries, it's home modification, it's home care, home monitoring, all the services that somebody needs to help their loved one age in place long term. And we're developing that product right now. We're working with partners like Instacart and other credible offers in these areas. And we're again, we're approaching it through a broker model where we don't need to provide all the services, but we need to provide the technology portal and connection point to access the services. So it sounds like Wanda is uh, another example of uh, the physical world and the challenges people meet. And you're helping with the logistics of just getting it accomplished. Yeah. When we first started our company and we called the health plan, our state agency, and we said, hey, are you having problems with transportation? They'd say, Yes, how can you help me? And today, health plans are being asked to provide more of these services for individuals so that they can age in place. And so you have case managers scheduling things like a ramp being built or a shower to turn, you know, a tub to turn into a shower. These are things that nurses don't want to do. They want to fulfill their clinical uh, component of their work. And we can take that off their plate and schedule and manage that. Michael, it sure seems in listening to Elena talk about her business is they've had one synergy after another, and they've all turned into uh, success. So that takes quite a vision. So I applaud you for that. It's not uh, it's not just your your parents' transportation company anymore. It's it's grown forty fold over the last seventeen years, and that's something quite astounding in our company. We should all be proud of. Well, thank you, and have a great team. Um, had a lot of great mentors, and obviously thanking Lynn and Peg Griswold for starting this business in the first place. So I give a lot of credit where credit is due. 
and as we look toward the future, uh, do you envision uh, that the cars will be arriving at patients' homes without anybody behind the wheel? Uh, What do you think of this whole move towards uh, autonomous vehicles? Well, I think that autonomous vehicles will do some great things for safety. You know, a lot of human element is what causes accidents. Also, I think that there are individuals that could migrate a driverless car experience. We will still have individuals we're transporting that will require an attendant based on their health care condition. So we look at it as an advantage to scheduling and routing on time efficiently and having adherence to those routes, plus allowing the attendant maybe to actually interact with the rider, things like health risk assessments, education, asking them questions about you know, their health care needs could be a benefit to our health plans. So we're looking forward to the opportunity to use this technology when it's approved and and it is being approved in certain locations. We believe it's coming and and we welcome the opportunity to use it. It seems like the human factor too. Right. I mean they're they're doing all these important things, checking off all these important health factors, but it might also be the only person that that patient sees all day. And and so that's got to be just as big of a health benefit too. Absolutely. We talked to a lot of members and they enjoy calling us on the phone as we're trying to get them to move to apps and texting and portals. They still like that human touch. And social isolation is a real problem for mental health and for healthcare outcomes. So, yes, having that one-on-one interaction, I think, is really important. They can also go into the medical appointment and take notes. If the person has dementia or Alzheimer's, they could be the medical advocate as well. Thank you very much, Alina Mathia. The president and CEO of MTM, I think I said Alina. Thank you very much for a. Thank you very much, Elena Mathia, for joining us today. And of course, you can listen to the previous episodes of PNCC Speak, the language of executives. You just go to kmox.com/pnccspeak, Speak, PNCC Speak, or search wherever you get your podcasts. Is that it, Michael Calhoun?